Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Mark 1. So last week we just started with Mark. A few highlights from last week. Topic sentence for the book. To, it's the beginning of the good news, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And we said Mark wants us to know that. He wants us to know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and he wants us to follow him. So last week we saw some, we looked at three introductory stories that begin to paint the picture of Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. The ministry of John the Baptist that points to Jesus as the Messiah because the Old Testament said before the Messiah comes, there'll be a messenger. John was that messenger. Jesus' baptism, his time in the wilderness being tempted uh, by Satan, being tested by the Father, that shows that Jesus is the Son of God. At, at his baptism, he's explicitly declared to be so. This is my Son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. And when he's tested in the wilderness, that's the Father treating him like a son. We looked at Deuteronomy 8 as a parallel there, the same way G, uh, the Father treated Israel when they were in the wilderness. Today, we want to look at some foundational elements of Jesus's ministry. Last week, some foundational elements to his identity, Messiah, Son of God. Today, some foundational elements to his ministry, his core message, and then his core invitation. And these are things that are going to be fleshed out over the course of the rest of the book. So starting in verse 16, no, 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed Jesus. So setting, this is sometime after verse 13. There's a time gap. We don't know what it is. Uh, Most people think John's ministry lasted anywhere from 6 to 12 months. Sometime during John's ministry, Jesus is baptized. He immediately goes into the desert for 40 days. And after that, John is is arrested. Uh, We'll see all the circumstances around John's arrest in Mark 6. The short version is he called out the king. King Herod had married his sister-in-law. Her name was Herodias. And that's against the Old Testament law. And John said, you can't do that. And Herod, being a king, threw him in jail. That's what he did. And then Jesus begins his public ministry. Again, we don't know exactly when that was after he came out of the wilderness. It was a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. Don't know. But according to Jesus, it's the right time. That word time uh, in, in verse 15, I think it was, is kairos. And we've talked about that before. Chronos is watch time or calendar time. And Jesus says this is the right time. This is God's time. Everything that needed to happen in fulfillment or, excuse me, in preparation for me coming, that's all been fulfilled. And so now it's time, my time. Galatians 4.4 says that the set time the Father sent the Son. So in terms of the timing, from God's perspective, everything's in order. This is the right time for Jesus to begin his ministry. And he begins in Galilee. You'll see a map there behind me. Galilee is, is up there to, to, to the north. It's about 60 or 80 miles from Jerusalem. You can see the two little map markers. And when we hear 60 or 80 miles, that's Athens. It's an hour and a half. They walked 
60 to 80 miles is three or four days. So that's driving to Seattle. So just in terms of where Jesus chose to begin his ministry, he's pretty far away from Jerusalem, the center of political and religious power. He's beginning his ministry, we would say, on the margins. He's beginning his ministry on the outskirts. Still, it, Galilee, is, is, it's a mixed Jew-Gentile, predominantly Jew. It's more of a, an agricultural area. Um, I, I read somebody, he described Galileans as conservative country folk. That's who Jesus began his ministry with, not necessarily with uh, the elites in Jerusalem. And then in terms of what we see, again, these two major features that we'll see throughout Mark, the, the headline or uh, the, the bumper sticker for Jesus's ministry, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Everything that Jesus says and everything that Jesus does, you can fit under that banner the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is the way it's uh, phrased in Matthew. What is that? Difficult for us because we don't have a lot of experience with monarchy. The only person we know who's a queen is Elizabeth, and she's basically a figurehead. And her kids, who are famous just for being famous, they've never really done anything. And so we don't have a... I think that's okay to say. <laughs> Maybe they have... The, we don't have a, a strong understanding of kingship. So when we hear kingdom of God, sometimes it just kind of bounces off of us. When you hear kingdom, don't think territory or geography or land. Think, you can think sphere of influence. Think rule and reign. That's the best phrase to use to describe the kingdom of God as the rule and the reign of God. In the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus is teaching us to pray, he says, pray your kingdom come, your will be done. I see those as synonymous. Those are parallel statements. Jesus' kingdom coming, or the Father's kingdom coming, the kingdom of God coming, it's the same thing as God's will being done. Or to put it another way, every place that God's will is being done, that's an expression of the kingdom. And so as we look, particularly next week, Jesus begins to demonstrate this is what the rule and reign of God looks like. We'll see that. It looks like people being healed. It looks like people who were in bondage to demons being set free. It looks like people repenting of their sins and following Jesus. That's what it looks like. It looks like the will of God being done in the lives of people. So when you hear kingdom, think rule and reign. Don't think geography. Don't think land or territory. And Jesus says that kingdom is near. And that word near, he's talking about spatially. He's the king. And everywhere he goes, his rule and his reign accompanies him. He is establishing the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying to people. The kingdom of God is right here among you. The rule and reign of God is right here. And the expected response is to repent and believe. So this is not a casual, hey, just in case you guys are bored, if you don't have anything to do, I just wanted to let you know the kingdom of God is near. He's saying, no, the kingdom of God is near and you need to repent and believe. Those are commands. Those are imperative words. Repent. We looked at that last week. That is to change your mind, literally, with always with an accompanying change in behavior. So he's saying to people, you need to get on board with what God is doing. You need to fully embrace the work that God is doing. That's what it means to repent. And you need to believe, and remember we've said this before, believe in the New Testament is relational, not intellectual. It's not about acknowledging certain things that are true of Jesus. That's a small part of it. It's about trusting in him fully. 
So another way of, of understanding this bumper sticker, this headline, Jesus is saying, here's, his ministry is being described, or he's announcing his ministry in this way. He's saying, the rule and reign of God is currently being established. So align yourself fully with me because I'm the king. That's what Jesus is saying. The rule and reign of God is currently being established here among you. And so you need to align yourself fully with me as your king. And everything, again, that we're going to see Jesus say and do, you can put under that umbrella. The rule and reign of God is being established on the earth. And we need to align ourselves with the king, who is Jesus. And then we see these two really, really short uh, pictures of Jesus calling followers to himself. Simon, that's another name for Peter. So Peter and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John. They're both, both of those guys are fishermen, or both sets of those Guys are, are fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus, it just seems like, according to Mark, he's just walking around and he calls them. We know from some of the other Gospels there maybe have been some prior interaction, but Mark cuts all that away. And what we're seeing in Mark is really the authority of Jesus. That's what's coming through in these call stories. He's just walking up to these guys, and again, if, you, if all you have is Mark, you're thinking, they, he's never met them, and they, they've never met him. And he just says, come follow me, and they say, well, okay. And they leave their jobs and their family. And when they drop their nets, they're not, this is not just their Saturday hobby, you and your boat on Lake Alatoona fishing. This is their job. It's how they make a living. Are there more significant things in our life than the people we love and the work that we do? And, and these guys leave all of that. Peter and Andrew leave their nets. John and James leave their father. Who, they're in business with him. And their, their work as fishermen as well. Very different uh, picture. It's a unique way of, of, of calling. So if, if you think of Jesus as a teacher or a rabbi, this is not the way teachers and rabbis would, would, would develop or, or, or collect, for lack of a better word, followers or disciples. It would, the way a, a rabbi would tend to attract followers, it's more like the way maybe you or me applied for College, we would look and say, this is the one I want, and I'd fill out my application, and, and if I made the cut, then they would bring me in. It was the initiative of the student, we'll say. You know, I want to connect with DJ, and so I would try to affiliate myself with him, and he would say, you know, quote me Exodus 32, 7, and if I did, then I'm in, and if I don't, and he says, you don't know the Bible well enough, you're out. Whatever he decided as the rabbi. Jesus is very different. He's calling people versus waiting to see who's attracted to him. And there doesn't seem to be any prerequisites. He just says, come and follow me. And they do. Again, the authority that we see in that summons is, is pretty profound. It looks a whole lot like a king. When we think, come and follow me, that 100% is, it, it is an invitation. But it's not like the invitation to somebody's birthday party. You can say, ah, I don't know, I'm kind of busy. It's the king. And he's saying, I'm establishing my kingdom. You come be a part of it. We can still say no, but we need to be clear. We're rejecting the king. And that makes us rebels. Because what he's saying is, the kingdom is coming through me. I'm establishing the rule and reign of God. You come be a part of it. And for us to say no, we're rejecting his rule and his reign. And again, we're rejecting the rule and reign of the king. It's a significant thing to say no to. He gives us the freedom to do that, but it's a significant decision that he puts in front of us. The, again, the authority of Jesus for him to call people, again, according to Mark, people who, 
They have no personal history. And for him to expect them to drop everything and follow him. I love that picture of follow. If you take it literally, which I think is helpful when we're reading the gospels, Jesus, guys that have looked through the gospels and kind of done the math on how far he walked, looking at the distance between towns, over 3,000 miles in three years. It's a lot of walking. And so these guys literally are following him around. If they were to say, well, yeah, I'll follow you, and they're just thinking kind of metaphorically, Jesus is on the move. And so they have to stick with him. There's a a, a level of commitment. There's a level of intentionality. There's a level of, of, uh, there's continuous action there. It's a daily decision that they make. Jesus is on the move pretty regularly. And if there's a day where they quit walking behind him, then they get left behind. Don't press that too far. But again, I think that's a great picture for us of what discipleship looks like, of what Jesus is asking of, uh, is what he's asking of us. And I want to close just with that. To me, repent and believe and follow are synonyms. I think it's the same thing. I think to repent and believe is to follow. But I do think there's something that we can learn from each one of those images, even though ultimately they're saying the same thing. I don't think you can repent and believe and not follow. I don't think you can follow and not repent and believe again. I think it's, it's two different ways of saying this is what Jesus expects of us. But I do think using those two different phrases, we can, we can at least see two ditches that we can fall into. One is a ditch that maybe was a bit more of a problem in the past, and the other one, I think, is a present-day ditch that many of us wind up unintentionally falling into from the past, the idea that we can repent and believe without following. Again, I think they're the same thing, but uh, just for the sake of argument, let's say they're not, that we can repent and believe without actually following Jesus. And this is something I think people believed in the past, in the American church in particular, and it's the recent past, and it's guys like me who wanted to see as many people as possible say yes to Jesus, and so we lowered the bar. Lower, lower, lower. I just, I just want you in. Whatever, whatever, I'm going to make this as palatable as I can so that you'll say yes. And so what repent and believe began to mean, it's just intellectual. To repent meant just to say, God, forgive me. It had nothing to do with actually feeling sorry for your sin. It had nothing to do with actually turning in a new direction. It was just saying, God, forgive me. And because God is gracious, he has to forgive me every time I ask. So I can do whatever I want, and I'll just say, God, forgive me. He's the genie in the bottle, and he'll do it. And to believe, well, that just means to acknowledge certain things that are true about Jesus. It's a complete misunderstanding of Romans 10, 9. All I have to do is confess that Jesus is Lord. So who's not willing to say that out loud? Jesus is Lord, if that gets me out of hell. And believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Sure, God raised him from the dead. Then I'm safe. I can do whatever I want. I just have to say Jesus is Lord and acknowledge that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And then when I sin, just say, God, forgive me. But I can do whatever I want. That's a misunderstanding, I believe, of what it means to repent and believe. And it certainly is not a picture of someone who's fully aligned with Jesus. It's not a picture of someone who's following him around. It's not a picture of someone who's committed their life to him, who's left their nets their way, and, and their family in order to follow Again, I think that's probably more of a ditch from uh, our recent past. It, it, honestly, I would, say this, I would say this in humility, but I do believe it's true. If that's your understanding, I would say you're, you're not a Christian. I mean, that's what I would say. If that's your understanding of what it means to be in the family of God, you're, you're probably not in the family of God. If, if in your mind, 
to repent and believe just means to say, God, forgive me. I, believe, I acknowledge certain things are true of Jesus, but I'm really living for myself. I'm living independently of you. I'm not following you. You're not a Christian. And so let's, let's think about that. And I would encourage you to think about that and begin to ask the Lord what it would look like for you to genuinely follow, to genuinely not just say, God, forgive me, but to repent of your sin, to move in a new direction. Not just to say, God, Jesus, I acknowledge you that you're the Lord. I say that out loud, but to actually say, you know what? I'm going to trust that. I'm going to trust that you're the Lord and live my life accordingly. Another ditch that I think we do fall into, and this is unintentional on our part, but I think it's really easy to do. It would be following without repenting and believing. Again, I think they're the same thing, but for the sake of argument, I was talking to Jeremy about this, and he said Judas is a great example. Judas Iscariot. So he's one of the 12, so he walked 3,000 miles with Jesus. He was sent out on a mission trip. And from what we can tell, he was effective on that mission trip. When the, when the 12 disciples come back, they say, hey, we, we healed the sick, and we drove out demons, and we preached the good news in all these towns. And there's no reason to think that, Jesus, uh, excuse me, that Judas wasn't effective he sent them out two by two, and we didn't hear Judas's pair come back and go, well, it, nothing happened for us. So as far as we know, he was effective, and he was following Jesus, at least physically. But you see, on the last night of Jesus' life, that Passover night, he hasn't relinquished his understanding of who the Messiah is. In Judas's mind, the Messiah is a warrior. He's not someone who's going to die. He's someone who's going to kill and he hasn't, so in that sense, we would say, well, he, he hasn't repented. He hasn't fully embraced what Jesus means by being the Messiah. He's continuing to hold on to his own understanding of what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. So either out of disappointment and, and disillusionment, he turns Jesus over and says, I'm done with you. Or in the best light, he's trying to provoke a confrontation so that Jesus will stand up. And so he sends this mob out to see Jesus to make Jesus stand up and fight. That's the best possible life. But in either scenario, Judas hasn't relinquished, he hasn't let go of, he hasn't repented of his own understanding of what it means, of, of, of how the Messiah would, would function. Again, he's looking for someone who's going to take up a sword and be a warrior, not someone who's going to take up a cross and die. It's so easy for us to fall into a similar pattern we can think we're following Jesus, but really we're just walking in the same direction with him for a while. And it's so subtle. The line is so thin. You can look historically when communities, when there's a, a renewal in a community and a number of people begin to turn to the Lord, the whole community changes. The standard of living for everybody is increased. People have more money. People work harder. Things are cleaned up, like physically, things are cleaned up. It's not as dirty. And that's true morally as well. There's things about following Jesus that, that benefit us. There are things that he wants for us that we want for ourselves. And so we can kind of uh, subtly believe or, uh, that, that we're actually following him, that we're submitted to him, but we're not. I want my kids to flourish, and I think you want my kids to flourish. You do want my kids to flourish, and so we actually want the same thing until his definition of flourishing doesn't line up with mine, and then we got a problem. When I think flourishing means get really good grades and go to a really good school and then get a really good job and make really good money so you can take care of me when I'm old, and their version, his version of flourishing is take a gap year and 
you know, learn a skill or learn a trade or go on the mission field or whatever that is. I don't like that. You could do more. You could do better. I want my business to flourish, and he wants my business to flourish. And again, what happens, and and that's great, as long as those definitions of flourishing are aligned. But what happens if what he wants is, what if he wants me to give away 50% of what my business, no, I'm not doing that. That's, sometimes we don't know. Maybe oftentimes we don't know if we're following Jesus until he asks us to do something we don't want to do. Until his way diverges from our way. That, that's when we know. Am I actually following you? Or were we just walking down the same road for a while? Don't hear me saying you're Judas Iscariot. But there is something there about a guy who can spend three years living life with Jesus doing ministry in Jesus' name, and still not embrace who Jesus truly is and the road that Jesus says he has to take as the Messiah. We see a little bit of that with Peter. When Peter confesses Jesus is the Messiah, and then Jesus' first thing he says is, I'm going to die, that's not what Messiahs do, and Jesus says, that's what's going to happen to me, and Peter says, no, And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. There's a rebuke there. Again, there's this, for all of us to recognize this is what it means for Jesus to be the king. And the road that he may be walking is not necessarily the road that we would choose. And that's when it comes, again, that's when this whole idea of repenting and believing comes into play. I don't know where, let's let's pray. Let's just do that. I've talked enough. And this is how I want you to, to pray. I don't have specifics, but specifics are really important. So let's just ask the Lord to bring some things to our mind. Again, if you're in that camp, maybe we can call it easy believism. All I have to do is say, forgive me of my sins, but I don't have to repent. All I have to do is say, Jesus is Lord and I'm good. I want to challenge you around the idea, Jesus is the king. He's the king and his rule and his reign is being established on the earth right now. And he wants you to be a part of it. He is saying to you, come and follow me. Will you do that? It's not always easy. But it's always best. He demonstrated his love for you by dying for you. So the one who's saying, come and follow me, the one who's saying, leave behind your nets, leave behind your father, the one who's saying that showed his love for us in dying for us. You can trust him. I want to encourage you, if that's you this morning, say yes. For those of you who've said yes, you're following at least as best you know how. I want to encourage you just begin to ask the Holy Spirit this and go ahead and pray this in your heart, something along these lines. Holy Spirit, would you search me and know me? Would you show me the places in my heart? I don't even know them. Would you reveal to me the places in my own heart where I genuinely think I'm following you, but I'm not?
I'm just walking next to you right now. We happen to be going in the same direction for a little bit of time. And see what he brings to your mind. It may have to do with the way you spend your time and your money. If you're a parent, he may be speaking to you about your expectations for your children and what success or the good life looks like for them. Maybe something with your career. Your marriage. Your singleness. This is a hard one. It could even be something around your health. We need to unpack that a little bit, but it could even be something around your health. Whatever he brings to your mind, I would encourage you, if you're willing, to say something like this in your heart. Jesus, I acknowledge that you're the king. I acknowledge that you're my king and that your rule and your reign in my life is total. It's complete. Pray that you'd forgive me for not fully submitting. Would you show me what it looks like to follow you in fill in the blank area of my life? Again, the king who's asking, demanding is maybe a better word, expecting full obedience is a good king. You can trust him. But you have to trust him. Holy Spirit, would you help us to do that? Would you show us really practically, feet on the ground, what does it look like for us to follow you? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 